0: Welcome to Andy Staples on 3. Happy Draft Day. I are not you thinking. Wait, the NFL Combine is this week. The draft is until April. What are we talking about? Now, we are drafting the top stories of this college football offseason because it has been that kind of offseason. It's one of those where any one of these that we'll talk about would have been number one in most past offseasons. So Pete Nakos from on three is gonna join us in a couple of minutes, and we are gonna talk about this. We are going to draft the top stories of the off season. I have my big board. Let me put it this way. There is a certain big story that, that popped in the past two weeks that when I initially sent in the big board, I forgot it. And it's one of those that would have been the biggest story of any offseason in the past 10 years before that. So that is what we're dealing with here. But before we talk to Pete, we do need to get in a little bit of court storming talk. Because it is the topic that is dominating conversation. Obviously, the big story. After Kyle Filipowski from Duke was hurt while the Wake 4 students stormed the court on Saturday. Uh, we have another court storming on Monday night. No incidents here. But a tremendous Tremendous call. We take you to Itabina, Mississippi, home of the Mississippi Valley State Delta Devils. And well, we're gonna let play-by-play man Caleb Brunson take it away from here. The- and Andrei, that's our- game. And there- Shout out Coach Ivory. And the Delta Devils with him. one in twenty-seven, one in fourteen in a swing. swag. One, yeah, you like what is saying? The Mississippi Valley yeah. Delta Devils are currently on a one-game winning streak. One-game winning streak. They're one in twenty-seven. They're one in fourteen in swag play. When you might only call one win per season, you call the hell out of it. Caleb Brunson and Andre Williams on the call. So Caleb Brunson. Is a student at Mississippi Valley State. He is a former SWAC, all SWAC cornerback. He played for the football team there. And so we may not have Caleb on. I want that dude hired at ESPN tomorrow. I want him calling games in conference tournament season. Like we just fly him around. Like today, SEC tournament. Tomorrow, ACC tournament. Next day, Big East tournament. Like we, I want Caleb on various calls. Because I think he's going to make them fun. So that was uh, that court storming was the tamest one you'll ever see, though. There, there were probably what about twenty people, and they were off the floor before the players even started shaking hands. But they, they, they ran out of the court, they danced a little bit, and it came right back off. So maybe that's the way you do it. But it's interesting because everybody has an opinion on this thing. I put a column out on on three yesterday. And very similar to what we were talking about on the show, where I think if you're in charge, if you're a commissioner, if you're an athletic director, you gotta be dead set against this. You gotta be like, you can't do this, we're gonna make rules against it. And the reason is because if somebody, God forbid, does really get hurt or dies in one of these things, you're you're gonna be sued, and you need to have this defense that, hey, we've been trying to stop this all along. We've taken this measure and this measure and this measure. So like if you're Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, and then and the SEC banned this in 2004, by the way, if you're Jim Phillips, the ACC commissioner, if you're, you know, Tony Petiti of the Big Ten, you have to feel this way. If you're Greg Byrne, the Alabama athletic director, you have to feel this way. And I'd be more worried, I think, about the football one because it's so many people. They're they're coming down off a high wall there's thousands of them ultimately once they get to where they're going. So I get why they're worried about this. And here's the thing you've banned it, like the SEC's banned it. It's been banned for almost 20 years in the SEC, and it has not stopped anybody. LSU stormed the court last week when they beat Kentucky. It hasn't stopped anybody. So people are going to keep doing it. So my thing is figure out how to deal with it. Now, Again, I don't know that you can have the count, like we, a lot of people said, have a countdown clock. James Fletcher, who's going to join us later to talk basketball, he says, have the countdown clock, rope off the court, and then drop the rope 30 seconds in, you know, whatever you need to get the other team off the court. But I I think you can do something like that. You could just teach some etiquette, you know, keep your phone in your pocket till you get to midcourt. Don't. Talk to the opposing players. Don't look at the opposing players. Do not touch the opposing players. And again, I'm a a big advocate of an opposing player can do whatever they want to you if you talk smack to them in a court storming because you're in their space and you're not supposed to be there. So again, I advocate the Jermaine O'Neal treatment for fans who talk smack in a court storming. If you haven't seen the clip of Jermaine O'Neal and the Pistons fan, look it up on YouTube. And just remember that if Jermaine O'Neal had not slipped in soda, he would have killed that man. So be careful when you're doing this. Have fun, but be careful and keep your phone in your pocket until you get to midcourt. Then you can do your selfies. Then you can put it on the gram. It'll be fine. But yeah, everybody has an opinion. on Greg Byrne, the, the Alabama AD, said, well, it's stopped tomorrow if, you, if after the court storming, you say, OK, congratulations. Your team just lost this game. Forfeit. This feels a little extreme to me. I I don't know. One of the things the SEC kicked around last year was for football or basketball, but football especially would be really bad, is take away a home game and basically say you have to play this team on the road two years in a row. That might do the trick. But again, it's awfully extreme. Taking money out of people's pockets. I don't think the schools are going to go for that. But there's there's a way to manage this without it becoming something that you have to completely ban or arrest a bunch of people, it is fun. You know, Seth Davis asks, well, you never see this in the NBA. Of course you don't, Seth. There aren't a thousand college students sitting right next to the court in the NBA. People are too busy trying to beat traffic. It's one of the things that makes college sports fun. We should embrace it. I do understand why the people in charge need to at least come out publicly against it that said it's fun no one has died one rolled ankle probably shouldn't stop this but there's a better way to manage it the man who has all the answers who knows how to manage it all that's Pete Nakos we're going to get to him we're going to draft our biggest off-season college football stories in probably the newsiest college football off ever. But first, I want to tell you about FanDuel. Go to fanduel.com staples, sign up. New customers get $200 in bonus bets with a $5 bet. FanDuel is America's best sports book. It is the easiest way to get some action on the game. And there are a lot of games to put action on. In fact, we're going to talk to James Fletcher later in the show about some great college basketball action tonight. You got Kentucky on the road at Mississippi State. Mississippi State is favored. It is one of those situations. Remember like the Duke-Wake Forest game. Wake Forest was favored on FanDuel going into that game by two and a half points. The Demon Deacons covered. Maybe those fans were storming the court to celebrate the cover. Maybe they had the Demon Deacons plus, excuse me, minus two and a half going into that game. But that's one of those, this is one of those situations. Kentucky's the ranked team, Kentucky's the high, potentially higher seeded team in the NCAA tournament, but they are the underdog on the road. So go to fanduel.com staples, sign up right now, $5 bet gets you $200 in bonus bets. Now let's talk to Pete Nakos because we have to draft the biggest stories of the college football offseason. court storming. Trying to get up there, but it's it's more of a basketball story right now, Pete.
1: I did not put it on my list, Andy. Uh, but if we want to sit down and like late April and chop
0: it up the basketball season, that would definitely probably be top three at the very least. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and you know, if we have something happen in football, <laughs> then I think, but it, it is interesting because I have somewhat enjoyed because the the you know, the the angst from the Duke community. Yeah, and and specifically the Duke community in the media uh, mm. about this, a lot of people have pointed out that they didn't seem to mind when Duke's football fans rushed the field after they beat Clemson Facts. on that Labor Day night game. Facts, yeah, it's
1: uh, man, I I must have watched the the replay of Filipowski getting ran into against Wake Forest like ten times just to like take it in, and we got
0: to it You need the top the the yeah. the. View from above, like the one with Caitlin Clark, where I realize, oh, Caitlin Clark's giving this lady the business, too. She's throwing
1: hands. No, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting to try to like take in and then also analyze, and I don't really think there's a right opinion. It's just my read on the situation. I,
0: I think you're right. Unfortunately, that's bad internet, so you have to have a strong opinion one way or the other. You have to hate it, or you have to be like, no, just let the fans... Be on the court during the game. Yeah. Let them be an obstacle course for the player. So yeah, yeah there's only the, the internet. You're only allowed to be on one pole or the other. You're not allowed the nuances. Uh, I've learned it's not really encouraged. I've learned
1: that, but with this one specifically, I'm like, I think it's what makes college sports great. I also understand Duke's going to try to go win a national title, and the last thing you want to see is Kyle Filipowski right. for a few games.
0: Right. And also if I were an AD, I would say ban it ban it ban it because I know I'm getting sued right. if somebody gets hurt on my court. So, yeah. All right, let let's get to this because Pete, I woke up this morning and I won't say which story it is cuz I think it's going to I think it's going to get drafted in our top 10. But I woke up this morning and realized I had not put a story on on my big board that would have been the biggest story in any of the past 10 years. That's how many stories we have to deal with here.
1: I'll just start this off by saying that, like, I thought I had a really good list and then I slept on it and then I tried to, like, rank them this morning and I was like, oh, man, like, I think I left something out. So I'm interested to hear yours and see comparison. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm curious to see how you where you go with stuff, because there are things that kind of start locally, but then. Their, their, you know, butterfly effect goes national yeah, and, and it's, it, it affects a lot more things than you might think initially. So right. I'm you're the guest. So I'm going to give you uh, the first pick. So what, what is your number one pick for the wildest story in the wildest college football off season ever?
1: You have to go with Nick Saban. Nick Saban retiring from Alabama is by far the biggest news story of this cycle. Um, the, the, what he's accomplished in Tuscaloosa may we, we may never see again in college football. And I think beyond the implications of him leaving Alabama, you also have to look at like what it did to the college football landscape entering the 2024 season. And right now you have a new head coach at Washington, at Arizona, Kalen DeBoer all of a sudden is is in Tuscaloosa and is expected to get the tie back to winning sec title games. And I, by far, to me, that is the biggest story this off season.
0: And I, I, I'm with you. That's the one I would have picked too. And it is the that one, that butterfly effect, just mushroom. I mean, Kenny Matololo got the San Jose State job. Uh, yeah, yeah, as a it's, result of that. But but it is it affected. You had the Caleb Downs transfer. You had the Caden Proctor transfer. You had just the how many coaches has Nick Saban gotten fired in yep. the SEC? Like who will? Yeah. Who, now will people be able to keep their jobs longer? I don't know. Maybe Kirby Smart just gets everybody fired now. But it feels like because I spent so many years and like every off season in the mailbag, you get the question: Well, what happens after Nick Saban retires? And it was like, well, if you're LSU or Texas A and M or like think about Mississippi State, they beat they beat Saban's team in 2007, right? And they haven't beaten them since. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Arkansas ever beat Saban. I don't like,
1: think so. I don't think, and and I mean, another big right. I know LSU has had a lot of success, but what this does for Brian Kelly and and opens yeah. a potential to win a national title, possibly.
0: Like it's, man, it's it's wild. That's why we love college football, though. It it is, and you know, I just like now what happens to Alabama too, because you've got like we've talked about their win total. We we brought Tim Watts on and talked about that nine and a half win total which is the lowest actually since 2016 but what are realistic expectations for Alabama it's so hard Mm -hmm. to figure out because we just assumed they were going to compete for the national title every year they still have a great roster so I feel like that's something we can continue to assume until we're proven until proven otherwise but I don't know
1: yeah I mean I know you and I are going to talk about this a lot in the coming weeks but like I think this 2024 season at Alabama is going to be defined by the two week period in April with the transfer portal, because while you are correct that they still have a very talented roster, there's a few aspects of that roster that really have some holes that need filled that are going to have to be addressed.
0: Yes. And the other piece of this, and I was talking about this with somebody yesterday, because for those who don't know, there is a rule in the SEC that says you if you if tra- if you want to transfer to another SEC school from one to the other and play that next season, you have to do it in the winter window. You can't do it in the spring window. So right. that we we think, and then the SEC folks kicked around the idea of repealing that last year. And They're mm-hmm. like, no, we actually think it calms everything down because you find they find that most SEC players want to play in the SEC. But there is a program shopping this post-spring that has some holes in the roster that is a place you'd go Yes, that isn't in the SEC and it's Michigan. And that brings me to my first pick. Which is Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan for the NFL. And it's interesting that we both went with two localized stories of a coach leaving a program instead of one of these big national rules things. But I also think this had a massive butterfly effect. I mean, Pete, we've just last week we were still talking about guys following Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers and I think what makes this so big is everything that happened beforehand. He just won the national title. You'd had the the Connor Stallion stuff, the, yeah. the the scouting stuff, cheeseburger gate, NCAA stuff, and you have him winning the national title and then going back to the NFL to chase the Super Bowl title that eluded him. Remember the man that what do they get to the seven yard line down five in the Super Bowl when the 49ers played the Ravens? They were this close. Like it's incredible and it opens up all this strange stuff for Michigan. Now you had Sharon Mm -hmm. Moore elevated to the head coaching job, but like you said, Michigan in the spring portal, probably the most prominent shopper
1: by far, by far. And obviously the, the 30 day window that opened with Harbaugh leaving like just closed. And I was kind of reviewing the roster and, I mean, all the eyes are going to be on the quarterback position this spring, right? Does Alex Orgy like rise to that? Does Sharon Moore kind of tap him if, as the starter entering fall camp? Or does Michigan get really aggressive and try to go get someone in the portal? And what does that portal market look like at the quarterback position? I mean, past that, some really good talent returning on the defensive line. But I, I, talking to some people at Michigan too, right? You have Roman Wilson leaving. Um, there's some there's some questions at that, that wide receiver position too. And you think about the depth of the wide receiver talent in the SEC. And if some athlete down there wants to leave, I mean, I couldn't think of a better place to go, not better place, but a place that is definitely going to need to add a wide receiver. Um, Michigan.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's, it's one of those places that is attractive. They've put people in the NFL. You've seen transfers thrive there. I mean, Josiah Stewart, Drake Nugent, Ladarius Henderson last year, who, who popped in. Olu Olu, a team of the year before, who popped in, had a great year at Michigan, and then, you know, we see what happens next. But it is it is really interesting, and the Harbaugh piece of it. What will Sharon Moore do? I think we feel more confident in Sharon Moore as a game day coach because we got to see him be a game day coach for four games mm-hmm. last year, including the Penn State game and the Ohio State game. Like, right? That that's the the interesting thing because. Ryan Day and Sharon Moore are the only people I can think of who are really in that situation. We've seen interims, yeah. I guess, Ed Orgeron yeah. when he was made the LSU head coach. But it is uh, it's it's interesting when you see like a blue blood program mm. get taken over by somebody on the staff, but you feel like you know what they are as a game day coach.
1: Yeah, the other thing that I think we have to give props to Sharon Moore for is, I mean, he locked down that roster in the last like 30 days, right? On yeah, Sab, Keon on. Keon Sab's
0: the only one that. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, and, and I know a lot of people pointing out the academic calendar, but if an athlete really wanted to leave Michigan, they probably would have found a way to leave.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, there are, there are players on that roster who will be coveted by every single team in the country. Yes. Like hundred. You know, Kenneth Grant, I think is, is, one of the best five players coming back in college football next year. And I'm sure I, I am sure I'm not, I'm probably not speculating here. I'm sure he got tampered with. Oh, and and he's, he's staying. So as far as we know, but it sounds like he's very intent on staying, but I mean, this is, this was huge. And it's one of those that like, I remember in the, in the moments after the national title game. And I asked Jim Harbaugh, after he, he did the you know seat at the big kids table speech, yeah. I said, Do you want to add a Super Bowl to this? And he's like, Can I just enjoy this for a night? But we the problem is we already knew this was coming, like we knew this was gonna happen. And then it was just a willy or won't he with the Chargers. But yeah, I mean, and, and the thing about this too: the last time we saw a guy win a national title and then leave for pro football was Howard Schnellenberger. In the 80s, going from Miami to the USFL.
1: It's just so, it's just so uh, like uncharted waters to an, uh, an extent. And it's, it's like, it, it, it leaves so much uncertainty at Michigan. Not, not that Sharon Moore isn't capable, but obviously, like, what does the Big Ten look like? And, and does Michigan contend for uh, their fourth Big Ten title in a row or does Oregon come? I mean, so many intriguing headlines right now. Um,
0: In Ann Arbor and across the Big Ten entering 2024. You know, you just gave me a thought, and it's your picks next. But I, I don't even know if we can include these as as picks. I was thinking you just reminded me. Oh no, Texas, Oklahoma, Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA entering their new conferences this offseason. I don't think that's news that popped. Like we all knew that was coming, but. That's another piece of this offseason. Like it's crazy.
1: (laughs) It wasn't a it was uh, so this is where it gets interesting. Like I'm gonna go with Tennessee winning the preliminary injunction hearing against the NCAA, but that was a very close third to a few other things that I'm sure you're gonna mention. The reason why I pick that one is because while there's all these lawsuits against the NCAA and this is not the death blow, this really leaves the NCAA in a pickle, right? You you read the statement from uh, the governing body on Friday, and, and right away they mentioned Congress, and then I reported yesterday on the letter that Charlie Baker sent out to membership. And, I mean, the reality here is, Andy, is I don't really know if the NCAA knows what the next move is. And when you get such a huge governing body like that in this situation – in my mind, it has to be one of the bigger storylines. And there's some other lawsuits that I'm sure we're going to talk about that they're facing legal pressures, but this one to me and not really being able to, to govern negotiations and NIL.
0: And it's just so much to unpack and and so important. It feels like they have to go back to the drawing board and whether that's the NCAA leadership or the schools themselves, I think it's more the schools themselves have to do it. And They have to go back to the drawing board and come up with rules that are going to be deemed legal, that that are going to be within the, the the boundaries of the Sherman Act, which unfortunately it feels like the Alston case and the way it went down nine to nothing in the Supreme Court and how aggressive the justices were, specifically Brett Kavanaugh, but but even the the Neil Gorsuch opinion, if you read between the lines of that one, it was basically saying we're gonna we're gonna declare everything we see. Illegal here because you're yep. not giving the players any say in this. So yep. they've got to figure that out. We'll see. There's oh my god, I just realized I don't have the Dartmouth players being considered employees on my big board, which oh, probably should be board. on it too. Yeah. God dang. But I will go to my next pick because we'll, we'll probably come back to something like this. But but yes, the, there are no NIL rules right now. Like, yeah. think about that. The, the entirety of the – so the NCAA was basically created because there was a safety issue in college football. Players were dying at the turn of the 20th century. Teddy Roosevelt brings the presidents of the football playing schools up, and he's they, like, you got to figure this out. So that's why it formed, but it very quickly morphed into how do we keep players from getting money. And that was basically the, mm-hmm. the primary function of the NCAA. There were two of them, stage championship events and keep players from getting money. They now have no capacity to keep players from getting money at all. So you, you're, your whole reason for existing for the past 75 years is now null and void. Think yeah. about that.
1: I, I mean, I was talking to a source yesterday, Andy, who was basically like, so the NCAA is just going to become a championship organization now? Like at this point – Event management. Yeah, Uh, there's another item on this list that I'm confident we both have, and we'll chop that up. But I think there's a group that could really step in and make an impact.
0: Oh, I like, I like where you're coming with this. Oh, I think that's another thing I probably forgot. All right, here we go. This is the one that I woke up this morning and realized I didn't have on my big board and I needed to put it on the big board. We have yet to see a 12 team version of the college football playoff. That's going to happen this year. But now we know the college football playoff is probably going to expand again in 2026. (laughs) What? (laughs) It's amazing. Like, that's just one of those things that was bubbling under the surface. They were talking about it a little bit. And then a couple of weeks ago, it's just boom. Here's this too.
1: So Andy, let me ask you this. I think this is a good way to take this conversation. Are you in favor of 14 or 16?
0: Well, so the way I would do it, I actually wrote this the other day. If you're going to do yeah. if you're going to move up to 14, you may as well move up to 16. Cuz it doesn't change how many rounds you have. Whether it's 12, 14 or 16, it's, it's still four rounds. Like yeah. I don't think you want to go past four rounds. I know that that all the FCS the other divisions do, they have a 24 teams, so they have a five round playoff. I don't think you want to go past four rounds. I would say if you go to 16, it takes away the need for auto bids at all. Like, do top 16. Like, you don't have to guarantee the group of five a, a place in there because most years, one or two group of five teams will be in the top 16 and will make it. And that way, you also don't have to codify preferential treatment for the SEC or the Big 10 or the ACC, or the Big 12 because I I do think if you piss off the wrong person down the road, that invites a lawsuit. So I think now people hate the subjective selection process. Mm. And I get that, but you can't have an objective selection. Like the NFL's playoff process is objective. Like you win your division, or you have one of the best records in your conference, and then you get made a wild card. You can't do that unless you split all this up into like a super league that had geographically and competitively balanced divisions. Since that's not happening right now, and I used to say it'll never happen. I'm not saying that anymore, but it's not happening right now. I say lean into the subjectivity, which gives us something to talk about, gives everybody something to argue about. And also, if you are not considered the six, like if you're the one on the cut line who winds up being considered the 17th best team instead of the 16th, 16th best team, you really don't have a claim on the national title anyway.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I like subjective, right? That's how we do the tournament, the NCAA turn to March madness. And it's just so much more fun to watch and see how it come together. and do bracketology for, for the college football playoff. So it's, it's going to be fun to kind of watch it all come together. Oh, that's right. We have to be playoff bracketologists now. I didn't even J- think about that. JD Piquel nominated me, so I feel like I need to really. I think you you stuff. could be
0: the Joe Lombardi of college football. We're gonna try to give it give it a run. You need a basement, like you need that basement bunker. That that would be the best way to do it. And we like we would come to you every Sunday night. All right, Pete, <laughs> let's break this down. And you've got the big graphics. Behind you. I, I love it. I listen. We're going to get the on three tech team on this. I don't know if you have a basement where you live now. I don't. We can but we'll make shovels. One. Yeah. <laughs> we'll make one.
1: Yeah. I. uh Is it It's Steve Kornacki right with the khaki pants? Yeah, it is. It yep. is. Yeah. We can definitely get some. Oh, of that you got to roll up the sleeves. Mm-hmm. I'm going oh, to have yeah. to wear college shirts. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Um, Okay. All right. So sticking with my next pick uh i am picking the district of no, not the district geez the department of justice joining the the transfer portal lawsuit with a few other sheets. <laughs> i didn't
2: a, even have that one on my board
1: <laughs> and and so but this draft pick does not focus on the department of justice it focuses on the fact that the department of justice joins and then shortly after i believe or in in this period the NCAA sends out the memo that two-time transfers can transfer immediately without securing a waiver. And I think that has completely changed a lot of how top programs are kind of approaching the transfer portal on free
0: agency. And I think, well, we'll the other part of it is in, and in football this spring, you might see some, some dudes who transferred in the winter, go through spring practice and be like, Ooh, maybe I don't want to be here.
1: Yeah.
0: it could be, but, but that one, that one was interesting because, you know, I think the one-time transfers, like, I think it's perfectly reasonable to say you can have one free transfer and then afterward you have to sit out a year. Like I don't have a problem with that at all. And I'm, I'm Mr. Players rights, but I don't have a problem with that rule at all. And that rule lasted about five minutes in federal court, which told me that every other thing is going to be declared illegal in federal court it sure
1: seems like we're on that path and obviously that's also a preliminary injunction. I mean, the NCAA is obviously facing a lot of them, but I think that one just really kind of changes the
0: the landscape of current college football and college basketball. I, it definitely does. It definitely does. All right. I'm going to go back toward the field with another one that uh, Adam Schefter brought up something about this. Well, th- this one isn't, isn't a, a college to NFL move, but it is a move for the same reasons as you're seeing some of the college to NFL moves. Mm. Chip Kelly leaves the head coaching job at UCLA to become Ohio State's offensive coordinator. Now, this actually started the, ch- the first domino in the chain reaction. For, first of all, Chip Kelly was trying to get NFL offensive coordinator jobs. He didn't get one. But the first domino in all of this is Jeff Hafley leaving Boston College as the head coach to become the Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator. Boston College hires Bill O'Brien, who had just been hired as the OC at Ohio State. Chip Kelly then goes to work for his former quarterback and former assistant, Ryan Day, at Ohio State. And it, man, the think pieces that came out of this move. (laughs) Chip (laughs) Kelly's leaving a head coaching job to be an OC in the same league. Holy crap, what's going on? It was a pretty big deal, though.
1: I think... I don't think it's a trend yet, Andy. I know everybody wants to call it a trend. Now, all that said, I think Chip going from UCLA to Ohio State needs a lot more analysis. And and the fact that... He, I mean, he wanted out. I don't know if he was completely meshing with Martin Jarman. I think there's a lot They there. were going
0: to fire him after yeah. this season. Yeah, it so, wasn't perfect. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I think the one that, like the The thing that really kind of pokes holes and like the people are leaving college for the NFL is earlier this week, right? Eric B. took the OC job at UCLA. Yes. Uh, so he obviously... Bill O'Brien is another one. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, it's so intriguing. And, and yeah, I, I had Jeff Halfley and Chip Kelly group together. So we're kind of aligned. Yeah.
0: On that. I, and and the, the other piece of this is Ohio State is loading up. Oh, yeah. That That... Because like Michigan last year where their their best players decided to come back and you looked at that roster and you're like, oh, my God, how many of these guys are going to be in the draft next year? How many guys are going to get drafted? How many guys are going to see at the combine next year? You do the same thing looking at Ohio, at Ohio State's roster for 2024. It's like this defense is loaded and now they have Chip Kelly calling plays yeah, on the offensive side with a bunch of really good players.
1: Do, is it, I, I might get a little lambasted here. Do they have the best OC and DC in college football or top five at each spot?
0: Well, I think that I, I, I think so. I think, you know, Chip Kelly is a pure play caller and him, him not having to deal with the other stuff, which is really what this came down to. Right. And Chip Kelly, by the way, always hated dealing with the other stuff. This mm. was not, this is not a new phenomenon no. for Chip Kelly. Like there's a reason he took UCLA when he had an offer from UCLA and from Florida. Like he was looking at how you have to recruit to win at Florida. And he's like, I don't want any part of that. So this is on brand for chip Kelly, but as a pure play caller. Yeah. I, I have a lot of faith in chip Kelly. And I think Jim Knowles, you saw last year, the improvement that he brought to Ohio state's defense. So that is a great call that, it actually sounds like a a future off season show topic is best best coordinator tandems. That's a uh, we could we could have some fun with that one. But that's a uh, it's I'm I'm now going in my mind through all the other yeah. ones. They're not a lot that that no. really match up.
1: They're, no, there's some like really great like one offs, but it's hard to find a duo at some of these schools. So I, the truth might be is, a, a Michigan yeah, fan we'll in the chat. It,
0: I'm into it. He says that the Ohio State roster is like the 2011 Philadelphia Eagles ended with 4-12. Now, I, I don't think so. I'm, I'm sorry, the truth. I, I know you've got your three-game winning streak and, and you're coming off the national title. They have a good reason to be excited this year. They absolutely do. All right, Pete, what is your next one?
1: So... Man, this is a, how many do I have left? That's like what I'm trying to get. Like, I don't know what my well, last one is. And
0: so, okay, I, I, I would say we can do three more a piece. Okay, great.
1: Um, then I'm gonna go down with the SEC and the Big Ten forming a joint advisory group. And the advisory group. The advisory group. Uh, not sound overly nerdy here, but I think that this move signifies a lot about what the future of college sports could look like. I think coming off the heels of everything that happened in Tennessee this past week, I think now more than ever, the NCAA and college sports kind of needs leadership to spring up from within. And it's clear that Greg Sankey and Tony Petiti have all the money and all the power, and they're probably the ones who are going to have to do it. So, um, I know a while two weeks ago that Greg Sankey and Petiti kind of went on the record and we're like, we're not trying to take over college sports and, I totally respect this,
0: but from my perspective, of I think- course, you're trying to take <laughs> over college sports. Like you're not fooling anybody here. And and look, you may have to. And, and that's that's my thing. Like they they may have to do that. They may not have another choice because they need to operate their own businesses. And the only way they might be able to do that is take over and create their own rules. That and and uh, Pete. If we're really getting nerdy here. This may be the number one thing. Like when we look back yeah. on this in in five, ten years, this may be the number one thing that happened this offseason season in terms of importance. Uh, this is why when I earlier I said I don't say it'll never happen that there's a super league and it's right divided. No, it, I think there's a chance it could happen. Like yeah, you know, these guys may have to make it happen. I think there's a larger percent chance
1: than ever that that we see a Super League or even the CFP split off and and do their own thing led by Sankey and Petiti and the SEC and Big 10.
0: Yeah, and it makes you like you figure out it is it makes economic sense, it makes common sense, and the further this goes, you just may have to and, and well, I'll throw I'll throw my next one out there. The ACC and Florida State sue one another. Oh, the ACC sues Florida State. <laughs> Before Florida state can sue the ACC (laughs) and they both end up dueling lawsuits. That's another one that could be number one in like two years. Right. Right. We don't know how this is going to end. We do know that neither side wants to take this thing to trial, that the, the results of losing a trial are pretty disastrous, actually more disastrous for the ACC than they are for Florida state. But Florida state being stuck in the ACC till 2036 would be viewed as a disaster by them. So, I think I think they will settle eventually, and it will allow Florida State out, which will allow Clemson out, which will allow North Carolina out. And I you know, I've gotten a lot of pushback on on what I said last week on the show and, and the column I wrote where I said I think they're gonna they're gonna settle. There's a number somewhere. I didn't say the number was low. The number is very high, but the ACC had to admit there's a number. And that's the part that the lawyers who keep coming at me don't understand because they're not dealing with this every day. I get your legal analysis of this stuff. I understand that they have to say, because Florida State has argued that it's too punitive, the, the amount you'd have to pay to get out of the grant of rights. They have to say it's a commercial possibility. It's just an alternative. You could pay for those rights back. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to understand that they spent 10 years pretending there was no number, that there was no price. (laughs) There's a price. We know there's a price because Texas and Oklahoma bought their way out of the Big 12 one the last year. So there's a number. And Florida State may get to that number. They may get the, you know, private equity may plow in enough money or there may be a way they get to the number as the ACC sees it now. But the ACC, the second they actually set a number, it's the clock ticks on the on the conference. Yeah, I mean, I think it's somewhere between
1: like two hundred and fifty and three hundred fifty million. That's just like my read on it. It, it could be higher, but um, man, it, the minute Florida State leaves, you you got to consider right like how big of a brand that is, what it means to to ESPN, who has the grant of rights, uh, and then also how like. Then there's precedent, right, that that Clemson or North Carolina or Virginia or, or yeah. Miami could leave. I mean, so much, you lose, like, two of those, like, it's over for the ACC.
0: Yeah, and that, that's the thing. Everyone's like, the ACC's not going to just let them leave. No, they're not going to just let them leave. They're going to take this as far as they can go. But if there's a non-zero chance that the ACC might lose that lawsuit, whether it gets – and we don't even know if it's going to be – in North Carolina or Florida, I think it's probably North Carolina. Yeah. Ultimately right. yeah. The, the one, the ACC filed, but if there's a non-zero chance that they might lose, they have to think about a settlement because yeah. if they lose, everybody can leave for free.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. All right. I'm going to draft one and I want to okay. start this off by saying river. It's not on my list. and I apologize. Sorry. Our producer river. Um, Steve Sarkeesian staying at Texas and Dan Lanning staying at Oregon are two of the biggest off season news items that maybe don't get the most traction. And I'm well aware that maybe they weren't the, the biggest names for, for to take over at Nick Saban, Alabama. But I think those two guys staying where they did is great for the sport of college football. It makes two of the better brands in, in college football more appealing and, and and both now have a chance to go win national titles this year.
0: So I'm going to throw one in there that you actually broke. A story that you broke on the day the transfer portal opened for the winter window. Kyle McCord transferring from Ohio State. I think that not, not just for that particular story itself, but for what it signaled for everybody. Because that's not just a player... Wanting more NIL money, wanting to leave. That's a how cutthroat is this going to become? Because this was the incumbent starter at a place with great expectations for next season, a great roster coming into next season. But he was not guaranteed the job. He was not guaranteed that they wouldn't recruit over him in the transfer portal. So he's looking at that like, mm, do I, ha- am I certain that I'm the starter here next year? Or do I try to go to a place where I am going to be for certain the starter next year? And he winds up at Syracuse. I thought that one low key, one of the biggest stories of the off season. Totally. All right. I'm going to go with a fun one here. Uh, EA
1: sports college football, 25 releasing it. Releasing the teaser trailer, uh, re- uh, uh, announcing the opt-in program for NIL for athletes, athletes signing deals with EA. I mean, we're going to get all the details in May, Andy, but this is what college football fans have been waiting for for a decade. And everyone's excited, including you and
0: me. My son is going to be so shocked when his PlayStation disappears from his room and winds up in my office. It's <laughs> it's going to happen.
2: We'll have I'm not telling some, him when,
0: but it's going to happen. Some online dynasties. Exactly. Oh, listen, I am I am going to build the greatest South Carolina program the world has ever seen. Trust me. I, I I predict, by the way, that Kansas will be the, the most popular team to play with because everybody likes to build a dynasty with a team that hasn't been historically great. And I think J, Jalen Daniels being able to play with him, play as him, he's already opted mm-hmm. into the game. That's the guy. I think Kansas and Kansas State might be the two most fun teams to play with with Jalen Daniels and Avery Johnson as your quarterbacks. So yeah. I can't wait for that. All right, one, one more from me, and it's another – player situation, the Dylan Raiola flip, Mm. because I think that was another one that this is a unique situation because he's a legacy at Nebraska, but we got a guy who decided not to go to the superpower where he would have been, he would have been stacked up with some other really good quarterback recruits and have to compete for that job and have to wait out Carson Beck. Instead, he goes to Nebraska. Remember, Kyle McCord was on a visit at about the same time. Suddenly, Kyle McCord and Nebraska weren't going to come together. It certainly sounds like Dylan Riola will be given every opportunity to be the starting quarterback at Nebraska this year. So this is this is the, the sort of thing we we wondered: will this happen? We've seen it with you know, we've seen it with Nico going to Tennessee, Dylan Riola going to Nebraska, where perhaps NIL does change the way people look at this stuff. Yeah. And
1: on a bigger level too, right? Like I think we won't know the answer for, I guess, three years, but does Don Royale going to Nebraska prove to be the turning point of the Matt rule era for the Huskers? I mean, he's got all the tools to start yeah, on Daniel. one way or the other, Pete, one way <laughs> or the other. Exactly. One way or the other. I mean, he's got all the tools. It looks like a great pickup. I guess we'll have to kind of see how it plays out though.
0: It's, it's going to be amazing. So Pete, that was incredible. There's still like, I got a list still man. on the list. Yeah. The Caleb Downs transfer. I didn't get to that one. I mean, we didn't even talk about the NLRB deeming uh, Dartmouth athletes employee. Yeah. It's employees. It's, uh, yeah. I threw uh, that yeah. in there. That actually may be the most important ultimately after all.
1: I mean, there's, yeah, there's so much. I even had NCAA coming down at Florida State. Yeah. NIL. Yeah. I mean, geez. What it's,
0: It's not March 1st. Let's go. No, it's not March 1st, but that's why we have to say goodbye to you, Pete. Yeah. Because James Fletcher, the third from on three, is here to talk college hoops because it is almost March 1st. So, Pete, thank you so much. That was wonderful. We'll talk to you again very soon. See you guys. All right. It is time to bring on James. What's up, James? We got to talk some college hoops.
2: Yeah, we got plenty to talk about.
0: Somebody broke the the Saturday Big Monday jinx. The North Carolina Tar Heels did it. They gutted out a win against Miami two days after beating Virginia. I'm I'm thinking I might put the tar – like when the bracket comes out, I might have North Carolina in my final four.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They did prove something that uh, very few have uh, been able to do. They held on at the end there. It got a little dicey in those final seconds. But, yeah, big win for North Carolina, Uh, a a bad loss for – Miami on the other side, where they really were, were desperately clinging to the the wrong side of the bubble, and I think they've just about fallen off of it at this point with that loss. That would have been big for their resume, but not able to complete that comeback.
0: Well, let, let's talk about North Carolina because a couple of years ago they they you know make the run to the national title game. They knock out Coach K in his final game in the final four. Did not live up to expectations last year, but it certainly feels like this is this is what hubert davis wanted to to have at north carolina
2: yeah and i think the first few years under hubert davis have been uh, really a roller coaster because we think back to that first season and yeah we think about that ncaa tournament run being able to, to surge past duke to make all those memories but let's not forget that they were on the bubble uh for much of that season that was uh, no guarantee that he was going to get them into the field uh just I mean, really a couple weeks before the NCAA tournament, they went on a run. They were able to put things together. Brady Manick, a kind of an unsung hero of that group, the the graduate transfer from Oklahoma. He went on just an absolute tear, knocking down just about every shot that he took. And then, of course, you take that momentum into the next season and everyone says, well, everyone but Brady Manick is back from that roster. You know, they bring in some recruits. Of course, they're going to be the number one team in the country. What do they do? immediately out of the top 25, become uh, the first team in, I I don't remember the exact stat, but one of the first teams in forever to go from number one in the preseason to outside of the NCAA tournament field. And and it was kind of the panic button was hit at North Carolina. What is the Hubert Davis era going to be? Is it going to be highs and lows? Or did we all get fooled by one good month of basketball? Because we were this close to having two yeah. straight non-NCA tournament seasons. But then he comes in. This year they they go in and they, they change up the roster a little bit. Of course, Caleb Love ends up uh, hitting the exit door. And R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott, there were, I think, some questions from people around the country. Can that duo really take you to the level that North Carolina should be at, given the fact that they just hadn't in the last few years? Well, this year they really have. And we talked about last time I was on, they are the fifth overall seed. They're the one knocking at the door, waiting for one of those one seeds to fall off that line. And I think that really just it comes down to uh, it's nothing against Caleb Love, nothing against anyone else who was in that program last year. But the fit, the basketball fit is just a little bit better. And they seem to have a great chemistry. And that just comes with playing better basketball sometimes. I think that that R.J. Davis at the guard spot, him having more freedom, being on the ball a lot more, has opened him up. Armando Baycott not having to worry about trying to get two guards involved in the play has opened him up to do a little bit more on the post. Of course, he's got some shooters around him. Cormac Ryan comes in there. And so I think that they just have a little bit better flow, and you hope that this is some some kind of formula uh, that Hubert Davis is able to repeat and continue to put on the floor for North Carolina.
0: I, I know the ACC isn't necessarily completely happy with the the depth of the league this year, but have North Carolina and Duke be good at the same time again, finally. And, and I don't realize it's only been two years since they both made the final four together, but we didn't expect North Carolina to be there that year. Uh, this is, this is what you, what you'd hope for now. Uh, Kyle Filipowski, we'll see what happens. They're, they're playing Louisville on Wednesday night. I would assume if he's, still hurt from the Wake Forest court storming or sore at all, you you don't need to play him in that game. But, you know, hopefully he's okay. Uh, You you tweeted this out, and I think you and I are on the same page on the court stormings. Like, there's a way to manage this. You had a good one where you do a countdown clock on the Jumbotron that says, you know, what do you do, 30, 15, 30 seconds?
2: I mean, I was thinking like even just ten. You do it slowly though, where it adds up to about fifteen seconds. But it really doesn't take that long to get guys off the court and at least headed towards the tunnel. And of course, from there, you've got security, like real security. Like I know we we joke about the security out there with the little the little thin rope, and they're they're kind of just letting people run by them. But once you get to the tunnel, that's real security. You don't see anyone make their way down the tunnel. T- excuse me, the tunnel. Yeah, because there's, there's cops in the tunnel. Happening. So so I think that. Once you can get them to the tunnel, then you do whatever you want because it is fun to have that that shot and that view of everyone being able to party, to celebrate what they just accomplished. And so I think, yeah, I think it's a really good compromise. I know that everyone wants to go like one side or the other, either just let it keep happening right at the buzzer or ban it all out. But I just think that there's got to be some kind of middle ground there where we can get them off the court. And it's not like the fans are going anywhere in those 10 seconds it takes uh, before you could have them, then come down on the floor.
0: So, uh, speaking of bad blood, Texas is going to Lubbock to play Texas Tech on Tuesday night, and yeah, you know, how much? Obviously, Texas Tech fans hate Texas anyway, but the Chris Beard thing really just stuck in their craw. When he first, you know, the first time he came back, it was just te- like the the most intense regular season college ball, basketball atmosphere you're going to ever see. Is it the same now that it's Rodney Terry or does that, you know, does that step off a little bit?
2: I think it has to d- diminish a little bit. Uh, you, you don't have Chris Beard, uh, of course, like you talked about. They felt like he he really did just kind of leave them out to dry. And you also don't have Mark Adams on the other sideline. Right. Former Chris Beard going up against yeah. his boss. And so there's just, there's not as many big storylines, but of course it is Texas and Texas Tech. There's going to be uh, some bad blood there. There's going to be a rivalry. And I think that it is kind of heightened by the fact that Texas really needs this win to continue cementing their resume in the NCAA tournament. They don't have some of the computer numbers that other Big 12 schools have that are kind of boosting them up and helping get them through uh, this Big 12 schedule they need a couple more wins against the quad two and quad one opponents. And I think this opportunity against Texas tech is a really big one for the longhorns.
0: Yeah. It's, it's going to be a fun game and and we love those, those midweek big 12 games, like going on the road in the, in the big 12 is no fun. So Texas enjoy Lubbock, enjoy United supermarkets arena, which is a very weird name for a very scary place to play. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, of, places that could be scary to play. The hump in Starkville is going to be the scene of a very big game in the SEC. Kentucky loses LSU last week on the buzzer beater, where Dillingham, Like I kind of felt like he emerged as the guy you want to see with the ball in his hands, and they still lose, but then they smash Alabama. And now they're going to the hump, and it's it's almost identical situation to that Duke Wake Forest game, where you've got the higher ranked, potentially higher seeded team on the road, they are a Vegas underdog. I think Mississippi State's a three and a half point favorite in this game, um, but this this could be a uh, this could be a fun one.
2: Yeah, I think it's going to be really fun. Uh, a real clash of styles too. Mississippi State has no interest in sprinting up and down the floor uh, for forty minutes. They want to get the ball inside to Tolu Smith. They want to, to use Cam Matthews, uh, DJ Jeffries, and they want to be physical in the way that they play. So it's going to be a, a really interesting matchup to see. Can Kentucky uh, either just outrun them? Because that's what they they ultimately did to Alabama, an Alabama team that wants to run too. Uh, but they really just got out and played such a fast pace and were just flying up and down the floor. Alabama really fell into the trap, I think, of playing just – so fast that they weren't worried about what kind of shot they were getting. And by the time they looked up, it was already uh, well out of hand. And there was no way to come back into that game. But uh, you talked about the DJ, or excuse me, the uh, Rob Dillingham situation. I think it's so interesting for Kentucky because he is their best NBA player or best NBA prospect. He is their best offensive player. You saw what he was able to do on that final shot against LSU. I mean, that is an NBA-level play. That is the play that you run to win a basketball game. The only problem is he did it with 15 seconds left on the clock. There was no need for him to shoot it that early, and it kind of goes into this narrative around Rob Dillingham that there's just these, these little things, whether it's uh, the situational awareness or the, the, the overall defense, because his defense just is not at the level that John Calipari needs it to be to keep him on the floor for an entire basketball game. But Well, and that, that's, that's everybody's like. Why? How come this guy doesn't play every minute yeah. of every game? You just said why? No, he, he does. He struggles on defense. And, and you saw it on that next possession. LSU puts up a shot. Dillingham sees the ball. He sees that it's blocked. He heads out the other direction. Now, I've seen a lot of debate. Yes, he is a guard. He has been trained leak out in transition. But situational awareness. Right. The game's you, over. You have to get the right. ball and the game's over. There's two seconds left. Even if you, even if your man is 30 feet from the basket, there's no need to go run the other way. And so for yeah. him to run away from the play, his man gets the rebound, puts it back in, you lose the game. I mean, it's just brutal. And he admitted it. He knows. It, it's not like Rob Dillingham is, is some player who just can't accept his actions. He He's doing his own thing. He wants to learn. He wants to grow. And I think that there's room for him to grow. The question is, can he grow enough between now and the end of March to where Kentucky can become a real Final Four contender with him on the floor for 30 to 35 minutes. And we've seen that with with Cal guards in the past where they have
0: developed over the season. uh, Marcus Teague is a prime example on the the team that last won the national title.
2: Yeah, Marcus Teague. You look at even the guys with uh, huge NBA success. If you want to look at... Rob Dillian and project him at the next level. A guy like Devin Booker was not a starter. He did not have a big role early in the season. Uh, Malik Monk, of course, got better throughout the course of his freshman season there. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, one of the best players in the NBA, he was pretty much an unknown when he started the season at Kentucky. So there is a long track record of these guys continuing to develop. John Calipari puts them in the right situation, and he really does help them grow towards their best self on the basketball floor. But like I said, it's just it's just a countdown clock at this point. Can Rob Dillingham reach that, that ceiling in time for them to win big in March?
0: All right, let us move to the Mountain West. Very bubblicious game going on in Fort Collins, Colorado on Tuesday night, Nevada at Colorado State. We've talked about this, can the Mountain West get six teams in? Nevada's got to win this one, right?
2: I think that, uh, yeah, right now, Nevada is the one closer to the bubble. So by default, you would say they need this win just a little bit more. But I do think that Colorado State of those two teams has done the thing that we said they can't do. We said only lose to the teams that are within that top six and you'll probably get yeah. the job done. Colorado State lost a game outside of that. So now they're in a little bit trickier of a situation. You've got to make sure you've got to keep an eye on those computer numbers. you got to make sure that that overall resume is still good enough. By the time we reach selection Sunday, because now you lose to those other top six teams. In addition to that loss outside of it, it could end up coming back on you just a little bit. Nevada has been uh, red hot lately. Uh, they've really gotten things going and they are on the right side of the bubble as we speak right now, looking to keep it that way tonight.
0: That's right. So if you're if you're
2: especially if you're playing a little fan duel tonight, you're,
0: you're sprinkling some stuff around. Here's your top games for the night Pittsburgh at Clemson, another bubble game. Nevada, Colorado State, Texas, Texas Tech, BYU, Kansas, Kentucky at Mississippi State. But that Nevada, Colorado State's your your last chance game. 10:30 p.m. Eastern time coming to you from Fort Collins. James Fletcher the third, we got to talk to you again before the weekend because this is we're we're getting getting real close. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, thank you. The bubble keeps shifting, so we got to keep talking, I guess. That's right.
0: That's right. That's right. It makes me think of that thing I use at the gym. Where I'm, yeah. I'm trying to balance on it and also lift weights at the set. It's terrible. It's terrible yeah, it's feeling a on the bubble. It's like you're going to play your way off of it. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. All right. Good to talk to you. Before we go, I do want to talk about a guy I saw last night No. Fafita, Arizona quarterback. So uh, there's a, a set of awards that have been given out the last few years. Uh, my friend Chris Doring, former Florida Gator, former Florida walk on wanted to honor Steve Spurrier. And so he got together with Mike Griffith of the Football Writers Association of America and created a, a set of awards, the Steve Spurrier Awards. And basically they're awards for the best first year coach, you know, a coach in his first year with a team because Steve Spurrier says, uh, you could do it the long way or do it just be different and win right now. And Steve Spurrier likes the second version. If you look at his, his career, that's what he did. But also the best freshman offensive and defensive players in college football. So Noah Fafita was the freshman offensive player of the year. He was the quarterback at Arizona, took over the job early in the season, and really just the Wildcats took off. But probably the most interesting thing about Noah Fafita, he was there with Brent Brennan, who is Arizona's new coach. Jed Fish was the guy who recruited Noah Fafita to Arizona. The assumption was that a lot of those really good Arizona players were going to follow Jed Fish to Washington. They did not. A lot of them stayed behind at Arizona. And a lot of it was that 2022 recruiting class that Noah Fafita was a part of, uh, that Territorio McMillan, their, their great receiver, was a part of. They've got a core of guys that decided to stay. And Noah was thanking all those guys. But Chris asked him on the stage, what? made you decide to stay and and his answer was really good not go
1: elsewhere yeah most of it was uh the players in the building and the people in the building um the culture we've been able to build uh, i think my dad asked me why uh, I, my dad said when when coach fish left we we're loyal to coach fish we were loyal to a school and he said if you want to stay what are you loyal to and uh, i kind of think about it for a while but i realized that uh, we're loyal to the people in the building and the players that i played with these are the guys
0: that uh, i want to battle with every week so that was a, that was a big thing yeah, we're happy you're here so if you think everybody's a mercenary and everybody's just out for themselves, most of the players in college football are going to be playing for the team they played for last year in this coming season. Most of the players feel like Noah Fafita does. And Noah Fafita had lots of options, lots of potential options if he wanted to go in the transfer portal. But he stuck with Arizona. And it was interesting, after hearing him talk, hearing Brett Brennan talk, Arizona and the Big 12 this year could be really fun because we we were thinking when Jed Fish left, you know they went from being potentially a a, a, you know one of the favorites in the new Big 12 to what are they going to be? We don't know. I think they could be pretty good. So we've said Utah, we've said Kansas State; those are the ones we're watching in the new Big 12. I might add Arizona to that list. I, I think this team that won 10 games last year, that finished the season really strong, yes, they lost their coach. I think they made a good hire. And you see what's still there. Now, obviously, the spring transfer portal window has to come and go. But it sounds like that group wants to play together. And I think that's that's a big thing these days. In In, in this world of constantly shifting rosters, chemistry matters. And you heard Noah Fafita talk about his decision. And then a little bit later, he was talking about his teammates. And you're like, ooh, okay, this is a tight group. This sounds like a group that could be pretty good. So congratulations to him. Uh, Jamie Chadwell was the the Spurrier Award winner for the the first-year coach of the year after going undefeated in the regular season at Liberty, taking the team to a Fiesta Bowl. And uh, he – talked to him for a minute. We can't reveal this because I don't want to spoil a surprise – but he's got a vacation plan that will if you are a child of the 80s it will make you laugh so hard when you hear what it is we're going to talk to him after that vacation so we can reveal it on the show but there's you're gonna, you're going to enjoy it so great time today great time talking to Pete Nakos i cannot believe how many crazy stories there have been this off season. And like Pete said, it's not even March 1st yet. There's a lot to go. So of course, keep it locked here. Subscribe to the On3 Sports channel. Hit that like button. Subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or uh, YouTube. Wherever it is, you get your podcasts. You remember now Google Podcasts come out on YouTube. So uh, we're, we're you just need to follow the On3 Sports channel. We're right there for you. Every time we go live, it'll let you know. We're everywhere. You can't escape us. And we can't escape the news this offseason. So, of course, there will be more. On Wednesday, we are going to dive into that crazy Oklahoma win total. It was the one I looked at when FanDuel came out with all those win totals where I was like, huh, what do they know that I don't? Bring it on the Sooner Scoop guys to see if they know something that I don't, or maybe something. But Vegas doesn't. We'll talk to you tomorrow.